Robert, we were doing picture joy all summer, and I was in a Sunday school class, stuck my head in just a little bit ago, and they're doing a joy project for two weeks. 52 ways of counting it all joy. That comes from the book of Philippians. I want to know how your joy is working. Is God giving you his joy? Have you got the joy of the Lord, which is your strength? We ought not to neglect this matter of God's joy in us. We need to be people of joy. He intended that our joy would be full. His joy would remain in us, and our joy would be full. And we are only strong as we have joy. It's why part of the reason that one of the five uh, aspirations we have as a staff, as a church, is to embrace the future. We want to embrace the future. We want to look forward with expectation and hope as I'm going to preach this morning. This embracing of the future, this expe expectation and hope that Paul mentions affects not only how you see the world, where it's going and the events that are going on in it, but it affects how you see your life, where it's going, and the events that are going on in it. To embrace the future is to have a hope and an expectation of good things to come. And sister, you need it. Brother, you need it too. When circumstances get difficult, we need to be able to do what Paul does and confess his expectation and hope for the future. I'm in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. We're going through, marching through the entire book. By the way, I'm writing that devotional week by week that is inserted in your worship guide today. You can also get that online at our website, and that is designed for you Monday through Friday to start your day or end your day with a meditation from the book of Philippians. Picture joy. I'm going to start with that last phrase of verse 18, chapter 1. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain if I am to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me yet what shall I choose I do not know I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me the apostle, laying out his expectation and joy for the future. Now, 
what I want to say this morning is a simple teaching right out of this paragraph we've just read. But I doubt you will experience a more important truth this week and in the days to come. This is not me teaching you how to do word processing on a computer like my grandgirls wanted me to do this morning. One of them had her hand on my shoulder and her hair wrapped in a wet towel and the other one had those wet strands hanging down there watching me as I was working on my computer and she said, I want to learn how to compose things on a computer. Well, look, I'm 60 and she's 10. I thought 10-year-olds had me way outstripped in the computer area. Have you got a 10-year-old around the house? I mean, they are astute. And I was pleased I could teach her something on a computer, which I'm going to do. But whatever it may be on the computer, you don't know. This truth that Paul puts in this letter exceeds it. You got to get this, okay? This is important. Expect prayer and provision. That's the first thing. Expect prayer and provision. He says he has an eager expectation and hope that things are going to turn out all right for him. Why? Because through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it's going to happen. Expect prayers. I know you ask people to pray for you. Some people are praying for you even without you asking. When people say to me, I'm praying for you, my soul soars and I am lifted and encouraged, and I know that happens to you as well. Somebody said, if prayer is anything, it's everything. You see what he's getting at? If God's listening, then there's nothing more important to do than talking to him. Expect people to pray for you. Expect that when you ask, they will. A lady wrote to me this week, and she said, I am praying for the people around me. And especially when times get tough and things are difficult and we have conflict or trouble, God is teaching me how to pray for them. A good lesson to learn. She added then, I'm also learning to pray for myself in that situation so that I'm not just exploding or responding to the trouble, but I'm trying to respond to God in the middle of the difficulty through prayer. Prayer changes things, and it changes things in your life. I hope you have scheduled appointments of prayer. I hope you also pray without ceasing, that built into your daily busy life and routine as you travel going from place to place, that you are a person of prayer. Expect God to deliver you through the prayers of other people and your own prayers as well. And expect God's provision in the middle of your difficulty. I tell you, this made me uh, so encouraged this morning as we prayed. God reminded me in our prayer time that he provides, that he is our provision. He's who we need, and if God is providing, then we're taken care of. Expect God's provision. The way Paul puts this, it's the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
Now, that's unusual language in the Bible. Maybe you would think, well, the Spirit of Jesus Christ must be referenced a lot in the Bible. But that exact language, that particular language, only happens twice. Here in this passage, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and then in Acts chapter 16, where the Spirit of Jesus forbids Paul and Silas to travel any further north and turns them toward Macedonia. And Luke records there, it is the Spirit of Jesus that speaks to Paul and Silas. Well, we know the Holy Spirit is given to us as believers, but this language about the Spirit of Jesus is interesting. Jesus said to his disciples, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So how is he present? He's present with us in the Holy Spirit. And when the Apostle Paul mentions the Spirit of Jesus, he may be reflecting back to Philippi and thinking about that crazy girl who followed him for days upon end, shouting, these are the men from the Most High God. They will teach you his ways. Remember that lady just kept shouting at them time after time, and finally Paul turned around to her, and he ordered the Spirit out of her. It was a, an evil spirit that was in her. And in fact, this was the flashpoint at Philippi. The Spirit of Jesus turned Paul and Silas toward Philippi. When they got there, there was a young lady who was full of an evil spirit that was destroying her life. And people had turned her into a slave, and they were making money off this evil spirit where she did prophecies through this spirit. And when Paul threw that spirit out of her and told the spirit to come out of her, her owners got upset because she couldn't operate like she used to operate. And that's why they had the riot in Philippi. That's why Paul and Silas ended up in jail in Philippi. I expect when Paul writes back to Philippi, to the church there, to the jailer that was in that jail, to Lydia who had that Bible study and prayer time by the river, and maybe to this slave girl who was delivered from oppression in the name of Jesus. He remembered how the spirit of Jesus does battle with the spirit of evil in Philippi, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Rome, in Jerusalem, and in New Orleans. Yeah, right here in our city, the spirit of Jesus does battle every day and provides for the saints in their conflict with evil and trouble in this city. We deploy into this city as God's people. We go out these doors and into the institutions and the communities and the neighborhoods of this city day after day. And as we go, we ought to know that through prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus, we have an opportunity to make a difference. It's amazing the outsized influence that our small city has in America and even the world. It's amazing how the eyes of the nation turn toward this city at the foot of the Mississippi River. It is referenced frequently in art and literature. People talk about it all the time. Movies now are being made here, and people think about New Orleans. It has an outsized influence in the country. I want you to think about your role in this city and how outsized it is, how 
big a difference you make in the places that you touch and the people with whom you discuss things. How big your witness is, how outsized it is in this city that we love and where we work. And what a difference God makes as he provides for you in that firm of which you are a part or that corporation where you work or that school that you go to every day. What a difference God's making. It's an outsized difference through your testimony. And this battle is not waged simply here in this room. It's waged as you go out into the streets like Paul and Silas were in the streets of Philippi when that girl was following them. It's out there where you show up on Monday morning and the places that you frequent and the folks that you meet and God is using your word and your life and the witness that you bear in an outsized way with people not only there but all over the place. Only in heaven will you know what God has done with your faithful word, your faithful life in the place he's planted you. Expect prayer and provision of the Holy Spirit. When you feel weak and you feel inadequate and not equal to the task, you remember God is providing his Holy Spirit. And if you have a question about, well, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do? You think about him as the Spirit of Jesus. All right? Now, I love this. Because I think it's a great question to ask. All right, in my situation, what would Jesus do? What would be his perspective in my situation? If he had this conflict, if he had this trouble, if this person were in his life, what would he do? Lord, provide for me the spirit of Jesus in my situation so that I can hold the light high. Expect prayer and provision. Hey, expect things to turn out, right? Paul says here, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's in jail. He's locked up. He's got chains on his hands and feet. But he is expecting. He is hoping. This idea of expecting is that you're almost like standing on tiptoe. It has embedded in the word the idea of your head up and looking forward to the future. Expecting something to come. Eagerly expecting. The word hope has it in as, as well. There's an expectation in the word hope, a looking forward to the future. Now, I want to get on those of you who look to the future with dismay a little bit, okay? I don't think we ought to teach our children or convince ourselves that the future is dismal, dark, and dangerous. I don't think that conforms to the spirit of Jesus. I know bad things happen in the world. I'm not living with my head in the sand. But I know this, that God has provided for me a home in heaven. And ultimately, good and God win in my life and in the life of the church. And as I stand in this place where there is a good God 
who is love and who watches over his world and his universe with tender care. I can't be hanging my head and mumbling and groaning about the future all the time. I don't want to pass that on to my kids. It's almost as if I were passing on the curse to them. I talk so negative. I talk so down. I talk so dismally to those who are going to inherit the future. And what am I passing on to them? The scripture says I can pass on the blessing. What's the blessing? That God inhabits this world. That he made it all. And when he got done, he said it was very good. God thought, thought so much about being human that he became one. He became a man. He was enfleshed in his son. These things are God's affirmation of life on the planet. Expect things to turn out right. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, Paul writes, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You say, what are you expecting for yourself? Well, my expectation and hope is, this is where I'm headed, I'm going to be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's where I'm going. I'm going to be delivered from bondage to this body of decay and brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's my future. That's my future. That's what God's working toward on planet Earth. That's where God is going with his world. This eager expectation and future hope guarantees that I'll maintain a posture in this world and in my life that's up on tiptoe looking forward to what's coming. As a boy, I rode in my father's car while he took us all kind of places. We drove all over the place. By the time I was 16, I'd been in 27 of the United States. And everywhere we went, I was just like this on the window. <laughs> I was waiting for the next thing to pass. I wanted to see what was ahead. I had my eyes wide open. It drives me crazy when my kids and my grandkids get in a car and we go somewhere we've never been before and they're buried in a book or in an iPad. And I'm thinking, didn't you see that windmill? Did you see that? I've never seen horns that big on any cow before. Of course, you know, I got a low amazement threshold. Lots of things amaze me. But I still got my nose pressed to the window all these years later, knowing that God has my future in his hand, and I expect things to turn out right. That's what I'm expecting. Hey, you have an alternative expectation. You can take it if you want. Expect things to turn out wrong. You want that? You want that? You want to expect things to turn out wrong in your life? No, we have one choice. We expect that God is so powerful and he loves us so much that all things, say that with me, all things, all the stuff in your life, all the stuff in mine, 
work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. You need to know it. You need to have it written down in your Bible. You need to highlight it. I don't know how you highlight it in an iPad, but do it, okay? However, you can note it. Note it. We've got such a powerful God that if you love him and are called according to his purpose, all things. He is so powerful that he can work all things, even Quell's wheelchair, even Paul's chains, even, yes, even your trouble, even what has happened to you. He can work it all together for good. To those who love him and call according to his, that's in the book, all right? That's not Crosby 101. That's Bible 101. Expect things to turn out light. Expect sufficient courage. Paul says that here. He's talking to these folks and he says, I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage. I have no fear of being ashamed, he said. I'm not worried about failing. Somebody in here, you keep stalling because you're afraid to fail. You don't want the shame on you of trying something that doesn't work. Paul says, I will not be ashamed. I know I'm not going to be ashamed. But I'm going to have sufficient courage. Somebody here is stuttering at the side at the moment of a great big project, and you don't want to go forward because you're afraid it won't work. If the Bible teaches us one thing, it's this. We cannot live in fear. The first thing the angel says when he sees anybody is, don't be afraid. If you were to encounter Michael or, or Gabriel today, that's the first thing he'd say to you. Hey, don't be afraid. Because the moment you see him, you're terrified. Don't be afraid. When the announcement is made to Mary, that's the first thing the angel says is don't be afraid. God says that all the time to people. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? You're not going to be ashamed. God's going to be on your side. He's going to carry you through. Is that the guarantee that we'll have no failures in our lives? No. It's the guarantee that in the highs and in the lows and through the valley and on the mountaintop, God never fails us. He is with us in all the journey. He cares for us in every situation. Now, God is going to give you sufficient courage. I've been thinking about the way the NIV translates this. In the King James, it's all courage. It's the little word pos. The little word does a lot of work in the Greek. As I've thought about the NIV translator saying, God's going to give sufficient courage, I've come to the conclusion that's a pretty good way of looking at that verse. You may be sitting in the pew thinking, I just don't have the courage to jump off the high dive. I guarantee you, you're not going to get that courage sitting in this pew. God will deliver that courage when your wet toes are curled around the edge of the high dive. You get it when you need it. That's how you get sufficient courage. And what God is going to give you will be enough. You're not going to get a boatload of courage 
while we're sitting around studying our navel. We get sufficient courage when we're out there in the process of doing what God has called us to do. (laughs) And you can rest assured, though your assignment may be difficult and this may be the most difficult path you've ever walked in your life, you can rest assured that God is going to provide sufficient courage for you and you will not be ashamed. And somehow, God is going to bring glory out of your life even if it means you die. (laughs) For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Whether I hang around or whether I depart, God is going to be glorified in my body. How do you beat that? What do you do if you're the enemy? (laughs) Whether by life or death, there's no way to defeat it. The attitude of the Apostle Paul It cannot be conquered in this life. It's like he himself was Lazarus, whom Jesus called out of the tomb. (laughs) And knowing the power of God to raise that body from the grave, he says, death can't defeat me, life can't defeat me. God will be glorified in me one way or the other. Expect sufficient courage and expect fruitful labor. When I think about the fruitful labor that Paul mentions here, I think about his age perspective, okay? I think there is an age perspective. I think as you get older, your perspective changes. I know this, your history gets longer, all right? I can remember when it took forever to dial a telephone. You remember that, right? A lot of things we can remember that it took forever. You know, he thought, I'll never get done. It's like that guy that got on the ramp this morning. He was going 35 miles an hour, and he hit the freeway going 35 miles an hour. I lost 30 seconds being behind him. I just, whew, gosh. You know, it just seems like we're never going to get there. As you age, you get a different perspective. And the Apostle Paul wants his work to be fruitful. He doesn't want to waste his time. He doesn't have much time left. You know, he may be going soon. So what's he going to do? I want my labor to be fruitful. There's a point at which, men, that your life changes from being prosperous to being fruitful where it's not anymore really about accumulating stuff. It's about making a difference with the time you got left. I hope you started grasping on the idea of my life being significant, that somehow God can do something significant in me. I learned here just a couple weeks ago that guys aged 45 to 54 are some of the most likely males to commit suicide. And I would not have thought that at all, except I looked at the statistics. And statistically, guys in that age group kill themselves at a more rapid pace than younger men. You know, there comes a time in your life where the reality dawns that all your dreams are not going to come true. 
You know, there's the death of a dream that happens sometimes as you age. And you realize that, all right, so what is my life about? If it's not about a great accumulation of money and assets, if I'm not sitting on the top of the world, and have I, if I haven't climbed all the way to the top of the corporate ladder, what does life mean for me? And I think there's some guys who get there, and they realize they're already 50, and what they thought they'd do by 40, they never even came close to getting done. And life doesn't have any significance for them. They get depressed about life. I want you to focus now on Paul's statement of fruitful labor. No matter what your economic standing, no matter where you are in the corporate ladder, no matter whether you've achieved all those lofty goals or not, there are things God can do in your life that make differences in the lives of others. And your labor, your work, your occupation, the word means what consumes your time, what you give your time to. It can be fruitful. You can produce fruit. Now, this is how, this is how the apostle looks at it. For their joy and progress in the gospel. That's how he evaluates it. Okay, if I'm at the edge of my life, you know, if it's about to be done, if Caesar's going to kill me, I'm going to be executed. What time I've got left? I want there to be progress and joy in the gospel for the people that I love. And his focus is, is not about who he is. It's about the people that he loves, who he wants them to be, what he wants them to know, how he wants them to live. And he's pouring himself into them, even in this letter even in this letter. Everybody in the room, you've got an influence that extends beyond your life. Sometimes that influence is with people who do not yet know Jesus. And you want your words and your behavior to draw them to the Savior because he's the one they need to know for this life and the next. And sometimes your influence is about the brothers and sisters around you, the people who already know Jesus, the folks who are younger maybe. And your life and how you handle the trouble that comes your way speaks loads to them about the truth of the gospel. You change their perspective on the life of faith as you live it out in the troubled time. Expect sufficient courage. Expect fruitful labor. Expect things to turn out right. Expect prayer and provision. Bow with me, please. God, our hope is in you. In the final analysis, you're all we have, God.
You're our source. You're our strength. You're creator. You're the one to whom we go. Spirit of God. Speak to us today. I pray for the one who is lowest. Where things are most difficult. That you would lift our eyes to you. That you would invite us to trust you. In the middle of our distress. I pray for the person who has gone so long. Trusting you and still more to go that you will give them strength and courage to hang on to you to prevail in prayer and to persevere in the journey you've called them to thank you God that our perseverance our patience and our prayers change the lives of others not just ourselves so help our labor to be fruitful God Thank you that you give us courage in the time of need. And I pray for people in this room who are going to need courage in appointments they have this week. Lord, we're dependent on you. In Jesus' name, amen.